Good morning. I am Andrea Reinhardt, and as Father Matt said, I'm part of the College of Preachers here at the table, and this is just a cohort of us who, as we all as a community are learning to proclaim good news to one another, that we have the privilege of being here to proclaim good news in our midst as we come together in worship. So in that spirit, I say to you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. This morning, we celebrate the second week after Pentecost, the second week of ordinary time, which is the word ordinal, it's counted time. It's not just common, although in a way it is kind of common because we are leaning into, in the season of ordinary time, what it means to be filled with the spirit following Pentecost, what it means to be the people of God. How do we live out the mission of God in the world? How do we live out God's purpose? And so we have, um, of course, this fun gospel reading this morning that gives us this great vision of how we can live out that purpose in the world, um, involving a passage that's familiar probably to many of us as the the unforgivable sin. This is the passage that tells us the sin that we should not commit. This is how we'll be good. Just don't do this one thing and we will still have forgiveness. Um, And I find it interesting, even as we read commentary and Bible study notes, that this is sort of the focus is let's figure out and make sure we know how not to commit this unforgivable sin so that will be okay. And and it's really just this attitude of having vigilance and of having worry about doing this thing that will lead to a bad end. And actually, in that spirit, it reminds me of a story from Bible college. As you can imagine, in Bible college, we probably like thought about this these sorts of passages and talked about them a disproportionate amount. But it reminds me um, of, a, of a friend that I had who was here, was at Bible college with me, and his father had been extremely against him being there. And he had discouraged him, and he told him, he had a lucrative construction business, and he told him, I have saved this money for you for college, but if you go to this school, to this Bible college, I am not going to give you any of that money. Um, I, I do not support you doing this, but my friend really um, just felt called to ministry and really felt like this was a place where he needed to be to thrive. And so he chose to go despite his dad being very much against it. And I remember after a break, um, him sharing this with me and saying how during this break, his father had been very cold, didn't want to see him, didn't want to have a lot to do with him. Kind of along with that, my own father also did not want me to go to Bible college. <laughs> he, when I was in high school, my dad was still an agnostic at that point. And he, uh, like as a younger person, I had been very academically minded. I talked about going to like all of these different prestigious schools when I was in middle school. And then when I was in high school and became a Christian, uh, it very much reoriented my life. And I've had this sense of like, how does God want me to live out vocation uh, in my life? How does God want me to live in ministry? And so I wanted to go to this Bible college, which my dad was convinced was a fly-by-night school that I should stay far away from. But even despite that, even despite me ultimately deciding to go and my dad very much expressing his opinion of not wanting me to go, I found that um, he was still supportive of me as a person. He still wanted me to thrive. Him not wanting me to go was about wanting me to thrive and to be able to have a job and be able to um, just do well in life. And so even after I went to school, unlike my friend's dad, who pretty much cut him off, my dad was still very much present with me, very interested in what was happening, always advocating for me, always wanting what was best for me. And I share this story because I think in some ways, 
that how my friend Chris's dad reacted to him is sort of how we view um, God's interaction with us. That there is a manipulation or an overpowering that happens to get us to do whatever he wants. And ultimately, we're going to be cut off if we don't make that happen. And I would suggest this morning that God is actually a lot more like my dad. That even though there are times when the decisions we make are maybe not what is necessarily good for us or what God would want for us, that his desire is to come alongside us, to call us into goodness, to call us into thriving, to advocate for us, even when we choose things that don't lead to our own, our own good. Even when we find ourselves entangled in these systems of sin and oppression that we can't disentangle ourselves from. So in that vision of God's being, we proclaim good news this morning. As we learn what it means to take part in the kingdom of God, God comes alongside us as a good father who celebrates us with us when we have victories and as a good mother who tends our scraped needs and our broken hearts when we fall. This morning, you are free to rejoice, to repent, to receive God's advocacy and generous welcome into his family. I think as we read our gospel reading this morning, although we come with sort of a concern to make sure we handle it in a particular way, we actually see this dynamic of God's advocacy in the midst of this gospel reading of receiving God's call into his family. There's this brilliant juxtaposition between Jesus' family on the one hand, those who are most intimate to him, those we would expect to support him the most out of anyone, and then the teachers of the law who are coming down from Jerusalem who are from the outside, outside the area where Jesus is, where Jesus is from, who have power as religious leaders within their faith. But as both of these groups, in a way, are insiders, insiders to Jesus as his family, insiders to Jesus within the religious tradition, but neither of them really seems to get Jesus in this passage, right? We see like his family convinced that he's out of his mind, they need to take hold of him. We see the teachers of the law saying, nope, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebul. You're casting out demons by, uh, by the power of Satan. And I think it's actually not that hard to relate to this, surprisingly, when we begin to think about what's at stake for both of these insiders interacting with Jesus. So for the teachers of the law from Jerusalem, we, we immediately kind of notice that Jesus says people can be forgiven for all their sins. They can be forgiven for every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This focus on forgiveness that Jesus is speaking is being spoken to people who understand the importance of forgiveness. The teachers of the law in Jerusalem, maybe of anyone, they're focused, they're constantly studying the law. They know God's story of rescue and redemption. They know that their relationship with God is firmly planted on the fact that God forgives them, that God purifies them. And that God gives them the law as a gift in the temple, as a place of, of embodying, consenting to God's work. They know that they're children of Abraham, that they're the people of God. And I, I often think of the, the water that they swim in sort of being like people in D.C., how in touch they are with politics. So it's these teachers of the law from Jerusalem who are very in touch with uh, the need for forgiveness. And at stake for them, as they're interacting with Jesus is protecting their relationship with God, protecting their nation, protecting their religious tradition. On the other hand, for Jesus' family, who, who say uh, they need to come take hold of him, a word that's like the same word for like arresting someone when they seize Jesus, take hold of him. Um, they're, they're aware of 
their communal identity with Jesus, right? This is a time and a culture where you are just an individual floating out there, but very much you're part of your family. And what happens in your family is a reflection on you. And what you do is a reflection on your family. I think the best example I can think of this that we can relate to is like our own kids who get so embarrassed by their parents, like, right, by what their parents do. And vice versa, even as like for parents, for example, like how proud we can feel of our own kids. There's this very connected relationship that happens. And maybe, you know, even more so for Jesus and his family. So for Jesus' family coming and taking hold of him, um, there's a care for him. There's an, a want to protect Jesus. There's a want to protect their own honor as a family, not to experience shaming, to ensure that they have um, that they have status in their community. So I think as we reflect on this gospel reading, we see um, that as Jesus offers an invitation to be part of his family, that the assurance that they're looking for for what's at stake, it doesn't come from being insiders. It doesn't come from having power and knowledge as an insider. It doesn't come from protecting ourselves or even from protecting God. But the welcome into God's family, as Jesus uh, extends it, comes from consenting to God. Jesus says for doing the will of God, which is to say consenting to how God is working in the world. So I think For them and for us, we have this instinct in order to know what it is to consent to God, to do the will of God. There's still a striving that we embody as Jesus' family and the religious leaders were were embodying. We still want to strive what it means not to be like the teachers of the law, not to be like Jesus' family, not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to have this figured out so that we can ensure that we have community and belonging. We can ensure that we'll be able to thrive. We can ensure that we'll be okay with God. But above all, we want to avoid doing the things that will cause God to pounce on us, to to cut us off, like my friend's father, right? That vision of God. And I think it's really, really provocative this morning that the lectionary editors, the people who put together the lectionary readings that we read this morning, the gospel reading and the Old Testament reading, all of those, that they selected a passage from 1 Samuel to be read alongside this gospel reading. And in this passage of 1 Samuel, we see the people wanting something that God doesn't want for them, that they want a king, even though God is their king. They want something that God says will literally be destructive to them. That when they have a king, that what they will have is that they're, they're, um, your male and female servants, best of your cattle, they'll take them for their use. They'll take a tenth of your flocks. You'll become as slaves. It's not going to be someone who's looking out for their best interest and advocating for them. And yet, even when that happens, God doesn't abandon the people, even when they choose something that God doesn't want for them. He doesn't coerce them or abandon them, but he goes with them. Throughout this long story of Samuel and Kings, we see the people constantly struggling and, and not seeing God's thriving, and yet God is with them in the same way that God goes with Adam and Eve out of the garden. God clothes them and goes with them out of the garden. And even to the point that the people go in exile, the spirit goes out of the temple and goes with the people into exile. God doesn't say, this is what you get. But God says, come and thrive. Here's a vision of thriving. And I'll come alongside you as you're learning what that is and how to embody that. We are freed this morning from having to make sure that we have everything figured out that we have God figured out even. Instead, we receive Jesus' words to recognize his work as the work of God, his invitation to be part of God's family. And we can rejoice when we inhabit that invitation well. 
when we share, we realize we're sharing life with God, recognize how we're sharing life with God and one another and learning to love one another. We can repent when we realize this is not what God desires. This is not what God wants and how God is thriving. And we don't have to do that in a way that vigilantly and militantly manages our behavior and our thoughts with an anxiety that we're just going to mess it all up. Because God is advocating for us in this process. He's not waiting to pounce on us. We proclaim good news this morning. As we learn what it means to take part in the kingdom of God, to do the will of God, as Jesus says, God comes alongside us as a good mother who celebrates with us when we have victories, as a good father who tends our scraped knees and broken hearts when we fall. You are free to rejoice, to repent, and to receive God's advocacy and his generous welcome into his family. This has been a long year for all of us. I don't think I even really need to say that. We know it. And I know um, in, our, in my DNA group, the discipleship groups we do here, um, we have spent a lot of time <laughs> just wrestling with a lot of this. And my DNA group gave me permission to share this. So I just want to say that up front. You know, we, earlier last year, we've, we've talked about how the polarized political season, I know that feels like years ago that that happened, but even here in our church, we, we talked about the ways that our theologies reflected the politics of the world more than the theology of the politics of Jesus. And we've wrestled with that in our DNA group. We've grieved and we've lamented and we've spent time in repentance over the ways that we've participated in white supremacy, that we've neglected our brothers and sisters of color. And even within my group now, we're talking about how purity culture has created uh, just skewed understandings of ourselves and our sexuality and kind of just messes with our relationships. But even as we're confronting this and facing this in our group, to have it all figured out, to have God figured out, to make sure that we get what we need and want because we've done all the right things and we've, we've been striving to make sure, even as we do that process, um, this good news comes to us again and again that God's care and his trust is coming to us and he's advocating for us. So where do you notice this morning in yourself that does those desires for assurance, those desires for what you need and want, grasping to make sure everything will be all right? Where are you struggling to trust in the advocacy of God as you're learning to consent to God's will? Where do you feel pressure to make sure that you're making the exact right decision Otherwise, you're going to be on the path of no return. Or where are you even seeing that there's a vision of God that you're recognizing, of God's goodness, of God's community, and then you look around and you just feel like you're constantly failing to meet up with it? Or maybe you're just experiencing injustice or pain or loss that makes you ask, how can this be? If God is good, if God is at work, cares for me, how can this be? Receive the good news this morning. God is your advocate. He's coming alongside you. He wants for you your goodness and your thriving, even as you're learning to consent to what God's called, the life God is calling us into. I wanted to share one more thing before we take some time to respond to this good news. Um, one of the women in my discipleship group, as she was working through um, just a kairos, just something she was working through and wanting to be able to discern where God was speaking good news to her, she spent some time writing a letter, uh, a letter to herself, God speaking to her, and she gave me permission to share it this morning. She said, I am your good shepherd. I will be with you wherever you go. If you wander off, I will come after you. 
If you don't know how to navigate a difficult path, I will guide you. If you can't walk, I will carry you. You don't have to beg for my help when you cry out. I am already and always there. Rest, for in my love, you are safe. This morning, as we are inhabiting this good news, we're going to respond by renewing our baptismal vows, even as we're celebrating the baptism of Annie Crawford. And it's really appropriate that baptism is a sacrament that Jesus gives to us that in some ways is the welcome into God's family. It's an embodiment of being welcomed into God's family. And it's also a sacrament of consent, of one where we receive from God and we say, yes, God, I will consent to your work in my life. And I know I personally come to Anglicanism out of a tradition of believer's baptism. And so I'm really learning to appreciate what some of the significance of what we do when we baptize infants and how that can teach us about God's welcome and God's advocacy. I love, um, I know I've heard, at least heard Father Ben say it, if not others, that when we baptize infants, for example, we see this picture of belonging before belief, of God's welcome that is extended to us freely. And it's not a striving, but it's a receiving and a consenting. And with Emmy this morning, as we welcome her into God's family and share with her in that, we are reminded that we are all learning, even as Emmy is learning from this early age with us and with her family, with the family of God. Even as she's learning, we are all learning to consent to God, to doing God's will. It's a lifelong journey for all of us and a journey that he comes alongside us in. So let's inhabit that trust today as we renew our vows and we celebrate with the prophets. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.